to their program. Thank you, team. I'm used to spreading out in that massive pulpit we usually have here, so it feels so constricted. It'll probably be okay. So have, uh, have you experienced any Christmas uh, angst yet as you go out, uh, you know, grocery shopping, you're on the roads, and people are just a little more intense than usual, a little more wound up? Maybe you've been in, in the Costco parking lot uh, this season, I don't know, just saying. Or, or maybe for some of you, you've experienced uh, the Christmas uh, sadness that sometimes sweeps over. The, the, the greatness of this season sometimes highlights um, the things that are, are, are not right. Uh, when I was a kid, we had a piano in our house. I, it was my grandparents' piano, which is a, which is a story for another time. But um, we had this piano, and around Christmas, if any of us would play Silent Night on the piano... My other grandmother, who lived with us, would just start weeping um, when we play that song because it, it conjured up uh, just the thoughts of the loss. And it makes it uh, evident that no amount of goodies, no amount of lights, no amount of of Christmas songs playing in the background will dispel the hardship that's in our, our world, that's in our lives. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year it's supposed to be, but sometimes it doesn't feel like it because life goes on. There's still hard things that happen. No amount of pie will fix the sadness, (laughs) the frustration, sometimes the loneliness. And so this Christmas joy that we talk about, it turns out to be rather elusive. (laughs) Uh, Where is that joy that we keep singing about? Joy, joy, joy. Well, this season, we are, uh, as we uh, go through the Sundays of Advent, Advent, we are unwrapping the gifts of Christmas, (laughs) the gifts that came with Jesus coming, the gifts that are not under the tree but are much more profound than that. We saw the gift of hope a few weeks back and how we can have hope even when we're surrounded by darkness. And then last week, we saw that we can experience peace even when we are surrounded by turmoil. And today, we'll see that we can experience joy even when we are surrounded by, immersed in, uh, bound in on every side by problems, difficulties, frustrations. So on this Sunday, uh, approaching Christmas, do you feel some of the weight of the sadness, maybe? Maybe your story is more the weight of the frustrations of life, the loneliness, the difficulty. Do these start to creep in and steal the joy that Jesus came with? Well, there's good news. Our big idea today, if you're following along in the notes, is that because Jesus came, you can experience joy. That could be a reality for you. You can live in that place. Well, we know that joy, happiness, celebration, these are all synonymous with the Christmas season. You know, we talk about holiday cheer and all these things. And, and joy is uh, traditionally the third Sunday of Advent, the focus. But as I was studying and reflecting on the Christmas story this week, um, it struck me how joy is pervasive in the telling of the Christmas story in the Gospels. 
It is, uh, it's like all the, the happy scriptures seem to be concentrated on this moment of Christ coming to us. Uh, we think about all the characters, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary, the angels, the shepherds, Simeon, the magi. The theme of joy runs through all of their stories. In fact, there's this little phrase, great joy, that's found just two times in the gospel accounts, and it's both times talking about the coming of Jesus. Once in, um, in Luke, once in Matthew. Great joy. Uh, the Greek, because you know sometimes we just like to talk about the Greek because it's fun, is haran megalin, or hara mega. Mega hara, you might say. Mega is all, all, obviously where we get the word mega. Hara does not come from that word, probably. But uh, it's this idea of a very great, a profound, a huge, really big joy. Where do we see these? They're in uh, Luke 2.10, Matthew 2.10. When the kids were younger, we'd talk about happy time is 10.10 on the clock. Has anybody heard that? It's because the hands are like a smile, 10.10. Well, the happy verses are 2.10. Luke 2.10 says, Fear not. Okay, this is the angel to the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy, mega joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then as the Magi arrive and they, they uh, find the location of where Jesus is being, or was, was living. And uh, Matthew 2.10 says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with what? Great joy. So mega joy at the coming of Jesus. That Christ is born. But here's what's interesting. The shepherds, um, the magi, they acted like they just won the lottery. They were so excited. And they returned to their ordinary lives. The shepherds went back to tending sheep. Kind of a, a job in obscurity. Kind of a, a menial, um, a bit of an outcast job in that culture. The Magi, they returned on their long journey home uh, as outlaws and with really nothing to show for it. They, they left the, the gifts there, went back empty-handed. And yet they were thrilled to death <laughs> about the coming of Jesus. And as I thought about this, uh, what struck me is that, this truth here, is that our external circumstances cannot take our joy away. Because our joy is found in the fact that Jesus has come to us. Well, one, one more character in, this, uh, in the Christmas story before we get to our main passage, and that is the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, we see where the, the angel is announcing John's birth to, uh, to his father. And the angel says in, in Luke 1.13, uh, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. This is speaking of John the Baptist. If you read all of uh, the story of John the Baptist, uh, you wonder how his life is such, um, why joy and gladness sums up his, his life. The angel could have said, uh, your son will be a little weird. 
He'll eat, uh, he'll eat strange food. He'll live outside of town. He'll speak his mind, and that will get him in trouble with the authorities. And eventually, he'll be imprisoned and then executed because of a weak-minded king, a wicked-minded woman, and her wild-dancing daughter. And that will be the end of John the Baptist. That, that's, his, that's his story. But uh, the angel says, you're going to be filled with joy and gladness. Why? Because in verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. You can rejoice because much bigger things are happening here. (laughs) Much bigger things than the circumstances right in front of you, than, than your lot in life, so to speak, than your daily grind, whatever it might be. Something much bigger is going on. But perhaps more than any of the characters in this story, this theme of joy fills Mary's story, and that's where we'll, we'll focus on this morning. In Mary's story, we learn how to experience joy when we're surrounded by difficulty and sadness and discouragement and frustration and loneliness. We can still experience joy. We'll be in Luke 1, verses 39 to 56 is where we'll focus this morning. And we'll look at two ways our reasons to rejoice can just completely overpower our problems. The reasons for joy far outweigh our reasons for sorrow. So here's the setting. An angel approached Mary. You, you are probably familiar with the story. The young virgin Mary and announced she'll conceive and she'll bear a son and he'll be called the son of the most high. And the angel adds, this will happen by the Holy Spirit. Well, Mary uh, does conceive by the Holy Spirit, and uh, she goes to visit uh, her relative Elizabeth. And this is where we pick up the story. Uh, She travels to visit Elizabeth, who's also at that time pregnant with John the Baptist, just further along. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, just by the way, any, uh, any moms here uh, remember the, the baby uh, leaping in the womb or when you could feel the baby kick? I've heard that's pretty exciting. I've never experienced it myself. <laughs> but it's pretty exciting. Oh, where was I? Uh, verse 42. So when she's filled with the Holy Spirit... She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for what? For joy. Happy baby. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So as we look at this account, especially uh, Luke, where we are today, just this theme of joy, gladness, uh, blessedness, rejoice, runs through the whole story. These are what we might call uh, happy words, (laughs) celebration words, excited words. I want to just take a moment here to dispel some ideas about uh, about biblical joy that I think sometimes, sometimes we have. And so I did a little uh, lexical work on this, and 
and looked up some meanings. It turns out that joy in the Bible, it means joy. Um, and the word that's usually translated joy, I looked up in the lexicon and it says literally joy, as if it had to add literally in front of the definition, uh, as a feeling of inner happiness, rejoicing, gladness, delight. That, that word translated joy here is happiness as an emotional response. Uh, that sounds a lot like, like happiness or how we might use joy out, outside the church. Um, this was not a religious word. This was how people described being really happy about something. And uh, the biblical authors use that same word. I think sometimes in this church setting, we feel like, well, uh, happiness or like joy in that sense is kind of too trite, too worldly, too shallow. So we'll make up something that feels different than happiness, but we'll call it joy. And we'll say, well, I'm kind of miserable, but I have the joy of the Lord. And it's like, it's just hard to believe that. Heather and I were talking this week back in Bible college, which is kind of a weird scene anyway, a weird Bible college humor. And we'd say um, in jest, like, uh, I really hate your guts, but I love you in the Lord. It's, you know, just to, just to draw out how sometimes we say things in, like, by saying it's in the Lord, are you meaning it's not really true? And so I'm saying that's not what the biblical authors are talking about when they say joy. Or, or the word rejoice, just the, uh, the verb of that, means to be glad, to be delighted, to be in a state marked by good feeling about an event or circumstance. Okay, not to over-belabor this, but joy means joy. Gladness, which uh, comes up in this passage uh, and earlier in the conversation of the angel and John, um, means extreme joy. It's the joy that leaks out of your heart <laughs> and into your, your body. It's uh, implied by words and body movements such as jumping and smiling, etc. When joy escapes, <laughs> that, that's gladness. Little baby John was so glad he was jumping. And then there's this word, uh, blessed which also we like to put in an ultra-spiritual realm to the extent that we have no idea what it means anymore. But blessed means this. Enjoying special advantage. Blessed. Privileged. Fortunate. Happy in the sense of being in a special condition and thereby realizing that happiness. Uh, I think blessed, if there was a hand motion, it would be that, that fist pump that's like, Yes! That's blessed. You've realized that, oh, this is incredible, and ah, oh, this is awesome. That's blessed. Okay, so these are, these are the, the words that we are, we are talking about in this, this passage today. Why I say this is because you can't say, okay, theologically and theoretically I have joy, but my demeanor and my emotions and my expressions don't uh, exhibit that. That means you don't have the joy. You're not experiencing it if it hasn't leaked out of your body. So the truth is you can experience joy in your mind, in your emotions, in your demeanor. But our question now is, is how or maybe why? And the first reason, if you're following along in your notes, is because of Jesus, our reasons for joy are more profound than our problems. They're more significant, substantial, They are deeper. 
So here we see uh, Elizabeth's response. We go back, kind of reflect on her response. This older relative, she's seen more of life. Um, her, her younger relative comes who's, who's pregnant, and, and she's going to have some, some words for, for Mary. And I just picture she could have said something like this. Uh, listen, honey, you better get prepared for the tough road ahead. Single mom, people are going to talk. And just wait until you're nine months pregnant and you have to walk the whole length of Palestine. And you better start figuring out how you're going to feed and clothe this kid. Oh, and have you told Joseph yet? I can only imagine how he'll react. Oh, you poor thing. But she doesn't say that. Instead, she's so ecstatic for Mary and about Mary's visit because Mary is holding the Christ child that uh, she just squeals with excitement. In verse 42, she exclaims with this loud cry. She just squeals out, blessed are you among women. Mary, you're the most fortunate girl on the planet right now. This is, this is just fantastic. This is incredible. And she, she squeals with excitement. In fact, I'm so excited that I'm so fortunate that you visited me. And not only that, my, my baby is so excited that little John is doing a happy dance uh, in utero. And uh, this is how excited we are about what's going on here, Mary. The baby leaped for joy in the womb. So, so why, given these overwhelmingly difficult circumstances, is Mary beaming, Elizabeth squealing with joy, and John doing the happy dance? It's because something much bigger is going on, something more profound, something significant. Elizabeth says, how fortunate that the mother of my Lord should visit. She realizes that God has come to us. That overshadows all the, the complicated things in this story, all the, all the difficult things in this story. God has come to us. And uh, God is being transported there to her house uh, in Mary's womb. You can be profoundly happy because God came to us. That's more significant than all the other things that we face, whether they're difficult things or, or fun things or whatever. God came to us. Emmanuel, God with us. God has not abandoned us. God has kept his promise. God has arrived. God with us. That's, that's the message of, of Christmas, is that God is with us. And so Mary... In response to this, she bursts into this hymn of praise. It's sometimes called the Magnificat because of uh, the opening where she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And this, this hymn basically describes that very thing, that God has not abandoned us. God has kept his promise. God has arrived. She starts out says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices, again, the happy words there, in God my Savior. Here's Mary's song. Why is she so happy? 48. For he, God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud 
in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And he's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he sent them away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God has not abandoned us. God is keeping all of his promises. God has arrived and he's making things new. He's fixing things that are broken. He's writing things that are wrong. God is here. So if you've recognized and embraced Emmanuel, you've recognized and embraced Jesus, God with us, then you have a reason to rejoice that goes far deeper than your circumstances. Uh, I was thinking this week as we were just talking about this, um, this passage and this concept of this thought of imagine being barefoot uh, in the park. You're just taking a walk in the park, you're barefoot. I'm not sure when the last time you've done that is, but it's been too long for me. Um, and you're walking along and you see off in the bushes a roll of $100 bills. So for the sake of this illustration, pretend there's nothing complicated about that. Like, oh, you know, I need to return that or whatever. Just think about, you know, that's a roll of $100 bills. Okay, except the problem is between you and the $100 bills is uh, a bunch of pine cones. The ground's covered with pine cones. And so to get to that roll of $100 bills, you have to walk over the pine cones. What is going to be uh, your demeanor uh, in that moment? Are you going to be overwhelmingly disappointed and distraught about the pine cones? I wouldn't be. <laughs> they might hurt. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to uh, not even think about them as I walk over with my bare feet to that roll of $100 bills. I see blank faces. You're not tracking. So um, I don't know how else to say this. I don't have a backup illustration. But the... The idea is you have encountered in Jesus something precious, something priceless, something more profound and deeper and significant that uh, brings us great, great joy, that overshadows all the other things that are going on in your world. So you laugh as you cross those pine cones. You're like, this is fantastic. Look what's right there hidden in the bushes. Uh, Okay, Jesus has a similar but better illustration. You'll probably get this one. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covers it up. Then in his what? His joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. He's like, I don't care about any of this other stuff. I'm selling everything because I found something of great, great value in that field. I found Jesus. I found his kingdom. Uh, the rule of God has arrived here and been offered to me. That is the most incredible thing in the world. And for that, I could have great, great joy. So if your life uh, is joyless, uh, if that's a word, without joy, um, joy's been overshadowed and pressed down, the answer isn't to think uh, more shallow. Like, oh, just think happy thoughts. You know, cheer up, cheer up. It's all good. No, the, the answer is to think more deeply <laughs> and realize what is uh, true that overshadows and outweighs the other things in life. 
great example. I don't know if you've heard of uh, Nick Vujacic. Uh, Nick was born with no arms or legs. And uh, he's a motivational speaker and, and uh, evangelist. Um, and he goes around and shares his story. It just, it's just hard to imagine having no arms or legs and getting along in life. And you see this quote up here. This is from his website, uh, lifewithoutlimbs.org. It says, if just one more person finds eternal life in Jesus Christ, it is all worth it. <laughs> he, he's weighing things out. Okay, I could complain about all these things, but this is all worth it if people are coming to Christ. He's thinking about things that are more weighty, more significant, more of a deeper reason for joy. This is not, uh, I should clarify, minimizing the deep difficulties and grief in life. Jesus himself, when he saw other people going through hard things, uh, he wept. When Jesus went through hard things, uh, he grieved and cried out to his father as well. But deeper than the grief, not, not just a covering over or not, oh, try to think about this, but deeper and more significant and profound is the joy that Jesus had. True story. We're told in Hebrews 12 that we should look to Jesus, our, our example, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the what? Joy. And what does joy mean? Joy. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross and despised or disregarded the the shame in that. The deeper driving force for Jesus was was the happiness of what was coming out of all this. The saving and redeeming of of mankind to bring into relationship with God. That, That was all. Jesus was excited about all that, so much so that he looked at the most horrible, gruesome, shameful, terrible thing in the world, and he disregarded that and just walked straight into it for, for you and me because of, because of the joy that was before him. Hard to get our minds around that. So just to restate, because of Jesus, our reasons for joy are more profound than our problems, and you can be profoundly happy because God came to us. Okay. I think if we're honest... It's hard, though, to focus on these spiritual realities when we are in the middle of uh, difficult circumstances. Would you agree? And I think it's because uh, the spiritual realities, we don't really see and taste and touch with our senses, but we have things all around us that are, are, um, are, are terrible that we sense with our, you know, our ears and our eyes and our, and our touch. So this is... Uh, we're thinking of things that are true, like I'm forgiven, I'm a child of God, I have peace with God. These are all true right now. These are more profound than our problems, but our problems can overwhelm us. We might still have a crisis in our marriage, or we might still live in constant pain, or we might have a finances are a problem, or the roof leaks, or your boss is a tyrant, whatever it might be. Um, that's the thing that is right before us and can be overwhelming. So though you have a more profound or deeper, significant reason to have joy, it can get uh, derailed by the thing that's right in front of you. That's why I think it's really, really important to realize that our reasons for joy are not only more 
profound, but they're more permanent. We're thinking of the long view here, how things ultimately turn out. They're more permanent than our problems. We can experience joy by taking this long view. If you've recognized and embraced Jesus' arrival, then one day all all your problems will end. Won't that be great? (laughs) Uh, Looking back to the angel's announcement to Mary, I I know we're kind of jumping around this passage a lot. Don't get dizzy. But this is in uh, verse 32. It says, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. So Jesus came to bring forgiveness, which we desperately needed, to restore our relationship with God, which we desperately needed, and all those things, but one day he will come and establish his eternal kingdom and make all things right. So we're not destined to constantly live in this divide where, okay, things are terrible, but I know deep down things are great. One day that will be over. Things will be great in us and all around us if you've embraced Christ as your Savior. And so I cheated and skipped and looked at the end of the book how the story ends. I know some of you don't like spoilers, but wow, this is the best spoiler ever is in Revelation 21, 3 and 4. I heard this loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, like, pay attention. The dwelling place of God is with man. God God is just living here among us. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Because those former things that, you know, we all worry about, they have passed away. I'm like, that is worth having uh, joy over. Or we could say that's worth being happy about. It is not a different uh, kind of a sensation, but it's the same sensation about a different kind of thing, a thing that's deeper and a thing that is more permanent. Uh, Jesus describes this whole thing like, like childbirth that's, that's painful, and then it gets swallowed up by joy. Uh, in John 16, 21 to 22, talking to his disciples, Jesus says, uh, when a woman's giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Has anybody seen that sorrow, experienced that sorrow, labor? Everybody's put it out of their minds? Okay. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the what? The joy that a human being has been born into the world. So, so also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. A joy that cannot be robbed. You know, you're in this happy place and then, oh, this bad thing happened, my joy is gone. No, it's not like that because your joy is in something uh, more profound and in something that's more permanent. Even uh, Jesus in another place, Luke 6, he says, even if you're being uh, persecuted because you're a follower of Jesus, 
He says, you can rejoice in that day. Oh, happy day. <laughs> and you could leap for joy. Uh, that's the, the gladness word I was referring to. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Think further out. You can be just profoundly happy because God came to us, and you could be permanently happy because God is coming for us. The story is not over. He's coming to make all things right. So we've been talking a lot about Christmas. Uh, have you experienced uh, watching a toddler uh, open Christmas presents? Uh, a couple things I experienced in that. Um, one is when they're, when they're quite young, they're pretty excited about the paper, and, that, and that's it. So then you get, they get beyond the paper phase to they start to realize how this works. There's this stack of presents, and they rip one open, and it's something fun inside, and then they get another one, and they rip it open, and they start to get in this rhythm, like... <laughs> And then, uh, then they get to the last one, and it's somebody else's turn, and they're immediately, oh, they're sad that there's not another gift, even with a pile of gifts right there. So, you know, since we're all so mature, our, our happiness lasts a little longer than that, and we think, well, it's just nice that we're here as a family together. This is special Christmas. But God is saying, no, that, that's great, but look even further. <laughs> you know, the toddler, two seconds. You know, most of us, you know, an hour or whatever. And he said, no, look, the long view is that he's coming back to make all things right. So when sorrow, frustration, discouragement take hold, uh, think about eternity. This is a gift, Jesus says, that nobody can take from you. The joy that comes from Christ's birth. In fact... I suggest we just let those difficulties remind us that uh, heaven's coming, that this isn't all there is. So difficult things happen, it's like, oh yeah, pine cones, that's right. It's because I'm going for that, that prize at the end. Like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is great. Because of Jesus, our reasons for joy are more permanent than our problems. Okay, let me just conclude here. Again, Christian joy is not a different kind of happiness, like a different, you know, emotion or sensation, but it's happiness about a different kind of a thing. Happy over things deeper and happy over things more lasting. And so my challenge today is going to seem silly to some of you. It's going to seem ridiculous. But nonetheless, the challenge is to get giddy about Christmas because Jesus came to us. He didn't just leave us here to, to flounder and try to figure this out. And he's coming back for us. He's going to make all things right. There'll be no more death. He'll wipe away every tear. He'll make everything right. And that is worth more than just a, a muted, like, amen. But that is worth just getting excited about. Jesus is coming for us. That's right. That's it. That's what I'm Christ came to us, and he'll come for us. Let, let me just remind us of this one verse as the team can go ahead and come back up to, to close the song. Luke 2, 10, 11 again says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great what joy, which will be to all people. And, and why is there such great joy? Because unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is what we need who is Christ, the anointed promised one,
and he is the Lord, and he's coming for us. So have a, have a merry, joyful Christmas. Right. Team.